Let's see if I can make this make sense. A short time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this friggin' immigrants. Welcome to Cold War episode 142, Ray. Yo. What's up? <laughs> Hi, Carl. <laughs> <clears throat> Smells like flowers. On 1st of March 1920, fighting broke out in <gasps> a, a village called Tel High in northern Galilee between Arabs and a Jewish paramilitary force. Mm-hmm. Why I know you I know you love a little bit of uh Jew on Arab fighting. Ray, <laughs> why don't you take us through the details? Oh man, I'm gonna let you down. This was part of the Franco-Syrian war that was mm. going on. So the Arabs turned up to a Jewish-controlled city, Tel Hai, uh, Arab irregulars, Bedouins, turned up and demanded to search it for French soldiers. Oh, shit. Now, one Arab guy was let in to do an inspection, and a Jewish woman, who obviously didn't know what was going on, pulled a gun on him. <gasps> a shot was fired. Nobody's sure who shot first. Might have been Han, might have been Greedo. Bottom yeah. line is it turned into a battle. And in the aftermath, eight Jews were dead and five Arabs were dead. Oh. Uh, including one of the Jews was Joseph Trumpledore, who, uh, Trumpelstiltskin. Right. Or, or, or what was, who's the guy? Rumpelstiltskin. Dumbledore. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Joseph Rumpelstiltskin Dumbledore <laughs> right. was his uh, code name. Full name. He was a commander of the Jewish defenders at Tel High. Uh, he was shot in the hand and stomach and died while being evacuated. It was a big deal. He was pretty famous, well-known. He'd been around a long time, Trump will do. Right. Um, now, Tel Hai was eventually abandoned by the Jews after this battle and burned by the Arab militia. Oh, my and God. Th- this, this whole event, which sounds like it, it was kind of a bit of a clusterfuck. I mean, the Arabs didn't go there to attack the Jews. Right. Uh, they went That's there looking for the French, but tensions right. between Arabs and Jews obviously didn't help and it all got out of hand. The Zionist leadership after this told the British stores, etc., that, uh, that they were worried that the tensions between Arabs and Jews were going to lead to a pogrom. But the British, oh. including stores and Allenby, told them they were overreacting. Right. Then a little over a month later, early in April 1920, Arabs from around the surrounding countryside poured into Jerusalem's old city for a week-long religious celebration known as Nabi Musa. Nabi Musa, very, very old uh, Muslim celebration, goes right back to the days of Saladin. Wow. One of the most important Muslim pilgrimages in Palestine, uh, Mm. called Nabi Musa because that's supposedly the name of the site in the uh, West Bank, believed to be the tomb of Moses. Ooh. Moses, of course. Uh, uh, worshipped. Charlton Heston. Or, or not worshipped, but... Uh, yeah, Charlton Heston. <laughs> oh, my dead, cold, dead hands. <laughs> you idiots, you destroyed it. <laughs> What's this? That's the thing. You, you damn dirty apes. Or something, I can't remember. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> damn you all to hell. <laughs> Um, uh, the the Muslims, of course, are are, are an Abrahamic religion and, you know, they, they hold Abraham and Moses in as high esteem as the Jews and the Christians do. Yeah. So they did this, this, uh, this pilgrimage, uh, from the tomb of Moses into Jerusalem and it fell at the same time of the year as Passover and Easter. Right. Now... So uh, back in the Ottoman days, uh, the Ottomans knew that this could get out of control because the pilgrimages, the pilgrims would right. have weapons with them. Yeah, protect and the, themselves. And the Ottoman Turks 
usually deployed thousands of soldiers oh, in and God. around Jerusalem Damn. during Nabi Musa I'm, to keep yeah. order. I'm guessing that didn't happen you this what? time. I'm guessing that didn't happen yeah, this time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this time, Sir Ronald Storrs issued a stern warning to the Arab leaders not to let did it get out his, of control and deployed did he wag his finger? 188 Wagged right. his finger, gave them a stern look, hard stare. Uh, right. He had, used to work for a gripper, just a hard stare. <laughs> That's was all, all it took he from a gripper to yeah. get, get the Parthians to back down. He's no gripper. Uh, and he deployed only 188 policemen. Fuck. Which, when 60 to 70,000 Arabs turned up. <laughs> oh, shit. The morning of Sunday, 4th of April, uh, turns out. Probably wasn't enough to keep them under control. Right. Well, I get that they cheer. They they gave cheers for King Faisal, who's who's been put on the throne, and I get that. And they're all they're all celebrating. They made this thing. I, what I don't get is when the then the mayor of Jerusalem, as far as I can tell, urges the crowd to attack the Jews. Is that just the proper way to end um, a pilgrimage? Maybe there's something I'm not aware of. Well, they, I've got different sources that okay. say different things about this. Um, you know, in Barry, Benny Morris's book, he quotes the mayor who we've talked about before, Musa Kazim al-Hassani, uh-huh. uh, as saying, if we don't use force against the Zionists and against the Jews, we will never be rid of them. That's on the true. other hand, I've got another historian that right. says, on the contrary, Kazim not only didn't say that, he spoke repeatedly against violence. Mm. So I, I don't know how much yeah. uh, role Kazim actually has in gotcha. this. But anyway, the crowd, for whatever reason, started chanting, Nashrab Dam Al-Ahud, we will drink the blood of the Jews. Ooh, that's serious. Now, uh, listen, yeah. don't right. get me wrong. I mean, right. you know, uh, uh, wanting to drive the Jews out of your country is one thing. <laughs> wanting to kill them yeah. is another thing. Right and but wanting to drink, yeah. drink their blood. Really, let's turn it up to uh, eleven. Right with these Muslim vampires. What's <laughs> going on here? Blah, 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 blah. Get super, right? Do you get superpowers when you drink the blood of a Jew? Remember, the you, Jews used to be rich. accused of using Christian blood. That's right. In That's making right. their uh, unleavened bread That's for their right. ceremonies. Maybe it's like, well, you know, we're going to show them. We'll drink their blood. Yeah, fix your little red wagon. A, yeah. I think it was just a common uh, Muslim yeah. curse. I, I, I shouted a couple times a month. Uh, someone take yeah. my parking mm-hmm. spot, uh, uh, get the last cracker. Anyway, but yeah, so. Uh, so I they, hope you don't shout it at Heather during her time of the month because no. uh, that. No. I'm that always. Would be always. This might wrong. not sound cool. I look at the calendar, and only then do I or do I not shout a certain phrase. I know what I'm doing. This is not my first radio. You know what I'm saying? I got this. I got this. So anyways, so, so the Arabs in their mass, they charge into West Jerusalem. They attack people. They stone Jews. They, they raid shops. Now, this is where I would love to be able to tell you that the Jewish defense force, the Haganah, comes in kicks ass, saves their people, does what needs to be done because there's not enough British troops around. And when I say British troops, I mean they have Indian troops there. Unfortunately, the British troops, there are enough of them because they have guns. They stop the Haganah, the Jewish self-defense force, from coming in to save their own people. But they don't do, as far as I can tell, much beyond that. In fact, it's going to get worse. Yeah. Yeah, it gets uh, worse. Uh, crowds went on the rampage. They were shouting, uh, Itba al-Yahud, slaughter the Jews. Right. Now, there's some debate over what turned this into a riot. It's not mm-hmm. really known as far as I can tell. There's some e- evidence suggesting Jewish provocation. Certainly mm-hmm. after the whole thing, right. a group of Muslims uh, uh, issued a report to the British authorities saying that Jews had been yelling insulting comments at the Muslims during their religious procession Yeah, that may have spurred the violence, but no one knows for sure what started. Basically, though, it uh, all went sour. Um, Jews were stoned, Jewish shops were looted, 
there was a, a Christian Arab uh, teacher called Khalil al-Sakakini. Uh-huh. He was present. He later wrote about what he saw. A riot broke out. The people began to run about and stones were thrown at the Jews. The shops were closed and there were screams. I saw a Zionist, that is British Jew soldier, covered in dust and blood. Afterwards, I saw one Hebronite approach a Jewish shoeshine boy who hid behind a sack in one of the old city walls corners next to Jaffa Gate and take his box and beat him, the shoeshine boy, over the head. Jesus. He screamed and he began to run, his head bleeding, and the Hebronite left him and returned to the procession. I mean, Jesus. Come beating on. Beating a shoeshine boy with, right. uh, with a, with a shoeshine box. I mean, that's, uh, yeah. you know, that's just and it, turning, right. taking an insult and making it worse. Uh, a Hebronite, Ray. What's a Hebronite? Hebronite. Um, yeah, Hebronite. Sounds like something. It sounds like something that God would not like. It sounds like two people came together who shouldn't, like uh, an Australian and American. No, I don't know. What? What is it? <laughs> oh, probably some. In this case, probably somebody from Hebron, the uh-huh. uh, area. Of oh, the, gotcha. The West Bank. I'm guessing. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, uh, he keeps going, this guy. The riot reached its zenith. All shouted, Muhammad's religion was born with the sword. I immediately walked to the municipal garden. My soul is nauseated and depressed by the madness of humankind. Yeah. So Can- it got really nasty. Yeah. If, if I'm going to ask you just for a second, I, because, because we've made this point time and time again, but if you were the shoeshine boy and you survive, hopefully he did, and you grow up, are you going? How are you going to feel about Arabs? Are you going to fear them? Are you going to hate them? Are you going to spend the rest of your life, you know, warped in your thinking towards them? Are you going to seek revenge? Are you going to, going to become a terrorist? Are you going to sign up to whatever army is is waging against? Them? I mean, when you do things like this, when it's senseless violence, because as far as we know, this kid didn't do anything. I mean, they are creating future enemies, but more importantly, they're creating an atmosphere where peace is not and never will be possible. Yeah, no, look, it's it's not good. Not good by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. Um, you know, violence uh, obviously leads to more violence. It's the same reason yeah. why, you know, the modern theory is you shouldn't smack your kids. You shouldn't uh, uh, yell at your kids, you shouldn't smack your kids, you shouldn't... What about uh, when they smack you? Know, you? Be... Well, I get that all the time, man. Anyway. Fox beats the shit out of me on a constant <laughs> basis. No, you can't... You can't do that because violence breeds violence. Right. It uh, instills right. in yeah. them an innate desire for revenge, the f- feeling that justice yeah. has not been rendered. Anywho, yeah. um, so this was bad. Uh, the Arab police who were there apparently stood by and either did nothing or actually joined in the, the yes. destruction against the Jews. Yes. Now, the, the newly... The newly formed Jewish self-defense organization, this paramilitary organization that you mentioned earlier, the Haganah, mm-hmm. had sent groups, some of them armed, to areas outside of the city walls, but hadn't right. stationed anyone inside the Jewish quarter. And yeah. uh, so they weren't really able to help. Now, the Haganah was only the latest in a series of paramilitary organizations that the Zionists had set up. In Palestine, one of the earlier ones was called the Hashema. Do mm-hmm. you know what Hashema means in Hebrew? Hashem. No, tell me. The Watchman. Ooh, I like that. Badass. Which was the name of the uh, the great Alan Moore comic, which has just been turned into a mm-hmm. new TV series. Um, right. Now, after the British mandate was confirmed by the League of Nations in 1920, the Haganah was formed because, as we said earlier, the Jews didn't really believe the British would protect them from the Arabs. Yeah, come on. So the first the first head of the Haganah was a 28-year-old named Yosef Hecht, who was a veteran of the Jewish Legion. Right. Do you know much about the Jewish Legion, Ray? Were they the ones uh, who volunteered and fought in the war, or am I getting this mixed up with World War II? 
honestly no, don't know. You're right. Keep keep, okay. keep going. Do you have any more details there? Um, there were three legions overall, and two of them fought. I, 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 that's literally all I know. Everything else, I'm just trying to remember what I read somewhere. That's sadly all I know. I was in the wrong spot. Um, shock, gasp. No, I did not. Can you tell me about him? <laughs> Fucking soundboard. Anyway. The Jewish Legion was the unofficial name given to five battalions of Jewish volunteers. Five battalions, okay. Uh, in part of the mm-hmm. Royal Fusiliers raised in the British Army to fight against the Ottomans during the First World War, also known as the Zion Mule Corps. Now, Trumpledore, the guy uh, I mentioned earlier who was killed in the Battle of Tel Hai, he had helped organise it, mm-hmm. along with the guy you mentioned before, Jabotinsky. Jabotinsky, right. Jabba the Hutt, they called him. Uh, <laughs> Behind his back. Who ended up being a hugely influential uh, Zionist leader. The future right. Prime Minister of Israel, David Ben-Gurion, had also been a member of that. Uh, now, they they were called the Mule Corps because they were actually, I think at uh, Battle of Gallipoli, they were actually involved in carting water on mules right. to soldiers right. at Gallipoli. Um, but anyway, so they had some military yeah. training anyway, these guys, volunteers, they because the British Army wasn't allowed to have foreign nationals involved in it, so but they could be volunteers. Anyway, so uh, the Hagener got involved in this, but they didn't. Uh, they, they weren't in the right place at the right time. This is the, uh, the 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 violence in Jerusalem. Right. In the end, martial law was declared by the British, but even after that, there was still looting and burglary and rape and murders going on for several days. It took the British four days to get well, the city under control. It did, but there's one more part to it. And again, we, we've been emphasizing this over the last two and a half episodes. The British, uh, some of the British don't like the Jews. They're actually sympathetic to the Arabs because they're like, to their the way their mind works is the Arabs have been here for thousands of years. How can you come in and just take it? So the point is the next morning after the first day of violence, the next morning, Governor Stores pulls his Indian troops out of the city. So there's even less... Defenders, not that they were doing anything, but there's even less defenders for the Jews now. So when the riots resume the next day, it take it just goes to a whole nother level. Because if you're an Arab, how do you not take a pull out of British troops as a signal to keep doing what you're doing? So it gets really ugly. Mm. Mm. In the end, five Jews and four Arabs died. So, yes. you know. Bad, but not as bad as it, it could have been when there right. were, what did I say, 60 to 70,000 Muslims involved. Right. 216 Jews were injured, 18 critically, 23 Arabs were injured, one critically. But soon after this, uh, both Chaim Weizmann and a British Army Lieutenant Colonel called Richard Meinertzhagen, mm-hmm. they claimed that the uh, Arabs had been put up to inciting the riot by Allenby's chief of staff, Colonel Bertie Harry Waters Taylor. Damn. To demonstrate to the world that the Arabs would not tolerate a Jewish homeland in Palestine. So the idea being they were encouraged by the British to do this in order to Make a, point. Make a political point. Listen, this whole Zionist thing is a waste of yeah. time and energy. Let's just forget it. Put a you know, draw a line under it. Kick the Zionists out. Let the Arabs have their own land. Or, or the British keep it because, like you said, this is very important to protect the uh, the um, Suez Canal. So, but yeah, but the point is, um, there are a lot of the British who are in officers who are in position to power who do not like and or trust the Jews. And and you mentioned a second ago uh, Jabotinsky, the head of the Haganah, who did not make it inside the city to help his people. He was arrested and given 15 years of hard labor. And as far as we know, he wasn't actually involved in it because he had to stay outside of the city walls. Um, three other Haganah's, uh, Haganah members were arrested, and they got three years. So I think the British were sending a message by giving Jabotinsky 15 years for hard labor for, as far as we know, not even really participating in this bloodshed. Well, yeah, but it's a little bit more complicated than that. I mean, the Haganah was an illegal paramilitary organization. It was basically an illegal militia. No, I, right. I that's, get that. That's yeah. That's, That's probably what why he, he was, was jailed for, right. for for running 
for setting up and running an illegal militia. Yeah. Well, uh, not to get ahead of ourselves, fortunately for him, he is extremely popular with the Zionists, and they are not going to rest until he is out of the jail. So he doesn't do the 15 years, but he does some time in jail. He does years, and it is hard labor. Uh, then I think you said a second ago, some of the Arab rioters were arrested and given light sentences. But see, this is only the beginning of it, because there's been this drama, this tension that you could easily say, um, you could easily argue that the Arabs might have started. But because of this, the Jews are the ones who are going to be punished. Jewish immigration is shut down. Wiseman, who is ahead of the Zionist commission, is arrested himself because they're searching through his house trying to find weapons. So again, it just seems like there's this one localized event, but it affects, it hurts the Zionists more than it does the Arabs. Well, yeah, and just to get back to this yeah. guy, Meinertzhagen, who was a British lieutenant colonel who who accused the British right. leadership of setting the whole thing up. Uh, he was he was dismissed for Ooh. saying that. Right. Now, Israeli historian Tom Segev considers Meinertzhagen both a great anti-Semite and a great Zionist. He quotes from his uh, Middle East diary where he wrote, I am imbued with anti-Semitic feelings. It was indeed an accursed day that allowed Jews and not Christians to introduce to the world the principles of Zionism and that allowed Jewish brains and Jewish money to carry them out, almost unhelped by Christians, save a handful of enthusiasts in England. Wow. Yeah. But at the same time, Weizmann considered him a great friend of Zionism. Uh, so this guy, anti-Semite, but a friend of Zionism. So Double agent? Go figure that. What? I don't <laughs> know. Very, I don't very know. confused. Maybe he's, maybe he's smart enough to tell everybody what he wants to hear. Maybe he's getting benefits from both sides. Who knows? But here, here's the other little wrinkle in this entire event. This happens in April of 1920, and you mentioned this a couple of minutes ago. This is when the San Remo Conference happens that endorses the Balfour Declaration. It endorses the British Mandate. And um, a couple of months after this, in June, the Jewish Liberal Party politician Herbert Samuel is going to be made head of the new civil administration in Palestine. He's going to be called High Commissioner. He's he's a Zionist, and he's got a very tricky situation, how to advance his people's cause and at the same time placate or pacify or trick, whatever word you want to use, the Arabs who are also in Palestine. But uh, getting back to yeah. Minutes Hagen's. Sorry. Uh, you keep trying to move on. I, man, I apologize. Like, uh, jumping ahead. I'm trying to tell a story. You keep wanting you, to You jump tell ahead. that story. You tell that story. Minutes Hagen was dismissed, but Muslim and Christian notables, as I mentioned earlier, blamed the outbreak on the Jews. Uh, right. they, uh, they, they, they went to the British and said Jewish youngsters organized by the Zionist organization had mm. cursed and blasphemed the Muslim religious leaders and the matter ended with the slaughter of Muslims and Christians, including women and children. So, you know, everyone was blaming everyone else for sure. how this got started. Now, the Arabs made demands to the British as a result of this, including the disbanding of the Jewish Legion and of the Haganah and the expulsion of the Zionist Commission. This is why, as you said, uh, the British ended up arresting Jabotinsky and Mm -hmm. uh, some other Haganah members. Weitzman. And the Arab writers were given light sentences. The, the, they kind of went light on the Arabs and heavy on the Jews here. So it seems to suggest that the British authorities uh, at the time, Sir Ronald Storrs and Allenby, etc., took the Arabs' view on this, that it was the Jews that had started it. Right. But I, started the problems of the riots. I just want to ask, but riots. does that not... Ins- I mean, I, I we, we all know that the Zionists, are a lot of them are passionate, they're brave, they're courageous, I get all that, but to purposefully antagonize a very large crowd coming through the city, it, it just, to me, doesn't sound like 
a very smart move, especially if they feel like the British aren't going to protect them and the Arab local policemen aren't going to protect them. I mean, is it possible? Of course it's possible because, because in a lot of ways we've shown that the Zionists are cocky, they're arrogant, and they think it's just a matter of time before they rule. But if they truly did that, then they're not. Then they really aren't as smart as they think they are, because obviously it sets off this massive pro, this massive reaction that they should have anticipated. Well, maybe they did anticipate it. Maybe they wanted it. Mm, they didn't handle it very well. The, the Zionists. No, maybe that. Maybe that's what they wanted. Maybe they wanted a massive escalation some, of the violence. Some martyrs so could, or something. Yeah. Okay. So they could say, look. Look at how they treat us. Look at what they do. They right. hate us. We need to be in control of this land because the Muslims hate us. That's a deep Arabs game. Wow. If you're willing to hurt your own people, but uh, um, history shows that happens Please. a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. 9-11, my friend. Who did 9-11? <sighs> oh, God. Who didn't? I think I was the only one yeah. not involved. I really well, did. I was involved. <laughs> yeah, no, I was, I was there. I was in that meeting. Confidence we left come. you out. You're like right. you're like Cicero. We left you out. Yeah, we're not sure about Harris. <laughs> no, I appreciate that. Out. Yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> anyway, um, yes. So I mean, my point is that the British seem to take the side of the Arabs yes. after this. Now, then, but there was a British investigation of the whole thing a few months later called the Palin Report, mm -hmm. which found that all the evidence goes to show that these attacks were of a cowardly and treacherous description, mostly against old men, women and children, frequently in the back. And they kind of criticised Storr's handling of the whole affair as being a mistake when he pulled his troops out. But basically, you know, it's, it was a pogrom. Whoever started it, whatever the reasons were, right. it ended up being a, a pogrom. Yes. Now, as you say, then in April 26th, a few weeks later, 1920, the Sam Remo, Sam Remo conference finally happened. Mm -hmm. And uh, this whole area was given to the British. On April 28th, Lieutenant General Sir Louis Jean Bowles, the chief administrator of Palestine, made an official statement reiterating that the declaration of the, the Balfour Declaration was British policy. Right. Can I And then yeah. a couple of months later, Herbert Samuel, uh, the uh, pro-Zionist who'd been part and parcel of the Balfour Declaration, was appointed the head of the new civil administration in Palestine. Yeah, he's going to be called, called the High Commissioner. And, and I just wanted to... to just show how just a tricky situation this guy's in. I certainly don't envy him. So, um, so because he had been to, because um, Samuel had been to Palestine before, he knew the strong Arab opposition to whatever the Zionists wanted to do. And so when he comes in, he tries to calm both sides down, which he should be pl applauded for. He releases the Jewish activists who are in, j in jail. He tries and he reopens the land registration for the Zionists as well. He allows free Jewish immigration. In fact, he's granting 1,000 visas a month. Um, not that a lot of people take up on that because in Palestine, because of, for many different reasons, there's not that many jobs, there's not enough housing. But the point is, he is he's given the Zionists what they want. Come in, you know, almost to the point of come in as fast as you can. But he's also got to pacify the Arabs. And he can use all the words he wants. It's not going to make them happy. He's got to do it through deeds. So, um, like you said, he's the one who helps firm up the Balfour Declaration. And he says, look, this is important. This isn't just benefiting the Zion Zionists. This is a document. This is a declaration that has two equal parts. One, we're going to promote a, the idea of a Jewish national home, but at the same time, two, we are going to safeguard and improve the condition of the lives of the Palestinian Arabs. We're taking both of these very seriously. We're going to work on both of these, and this is that balancing act, this balance walking on this high wire that he has to do, but you just know with this situation, he's going to end up pissing somebody off. Interesting uh, point about Herbert Samuel, uh -huh. uh, sort of had Jewish ancestry. Um, he also had a Hebrew name, Eliezer ben Pincha Shmuel. Uh, he was distant, well, not distant, he was the great uncle via marriage to the scientist Rosalind Franklin, 
mm. uh, who helped discover DNA but was ignored. Uh, it was only recognised oh, wow. posthumously. She died right. young. She died in 1958, age 37. But it helped uh, discover DNA with Watson and Crick. And they were like, yeah. fuck you. She was like, hey, look at this. It's got a... You're a skirt. A, <laughs> she said, look at this, double helix. That's interesting, isn't it? They were like, oh, that is. Thanks very much. Now, yeah. fuck off. Back to the typing Go, Give me pool. some coffee. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, I'm a, I'm a fucking chemist you fuck you um they watson crick and maurice wilkins got the nobel prize in 1962 and she was ignored jesus dicks but she was uh yeah he uh, herbert samuel was her great uncle and also the interesting thing about herbert samuel later on he uh agreed with neville chamberlain that they should have an appeasement policy towards hitler wow he's like listen Look. say what you want about <laughs> hitler but yeah. uh at least he killed Hitler. <laughs> that happened later. The Autobahn, oh, okay. and he well, killed Hitler. So he, come on, come he on. Will, yeah, he yeah. will kill Hitler. Yeah, been, you know, sponsored the Volkswagen. <laughs> um, now Samuel chose Ge- uh, Brigadier General Wyndham Deeds, who was another Christian Zionist, right. to uh, head up his, uh, you know, uh, Palestinian activities. He was his, mm-hmm. he'd been Allenby's chief intelligence officer. He was going to be uh, Samuel's deputy over there. Nice. Deeds wrote to Chaim Weizmann in May of 1920. He wrote, from now, the whole of such abilities and strength as God has given me will be devoted unreservedly to the realization of your ideal. Ah, oh, And as you nice. say, they took off. Took off all of the restrictions for uh, yeah. immigration, and on July eighth, the general amnesty was declared. All of the Arabs convicted during the riots in April were released, uh, as well as guys like um, Jabotinsky. Mm-hmm. Everyone was released. Everyone is free. You get a car. You get a car. <laughs> but of course, but yes, you know, that that wasn't going to help. Uh, the Zionists are still unhappy. The Arabs are still unhappy. In December of that year, they had the third Palestinian conference, the Arabs sure. did, which denounced the Balfour Declaration as being contrary to the laws of God Ooh. and man. Well, And then in March yeah. of 1921, <laughs> Colonial Secretary Winston Churchill made a visit to Palestine to meet... Right. With an Arab declaration headed by Kazim, the former mayor of Jerusalem, who had lost his job after the riots. Yep. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. All uh, I know I'll is. Get to that in a second. Yeah. 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 No, I was just going to say, was this the point in the point in history where Churchill whips out a pencil and a piece of paper and changes everything just because he can? Or was that it happened earlier? Yeah, they, that had happened just briefly earlier before okay. he got there. But uh, I'll get to that. Yeah. Um, now he met with this delegation. They attacked Zionism and the Balfour Declaration and Herbert Samuel. They said to Churchill, "The Jews have been amongst the most active advocates of destruction in many lands. <laughs> it is well known that the disintegration of Russia was wholly or in great part brought about by the Jews." And a large proportion of the defeat of Germany and Austria must also be put at their door. Now, well, Churchill must have agreed with that. Because we know that Churchill had uh, said similar things at various points in time and would continue to say things later on. Here's what, in uh, an article he wrote in the Illustrated Sunday Herald, Uh, Just prior to this, in February 1920, titled Zionism versus Bolshevism, Churchill himself wrote, and I quoted this in an earlier episode, this movement among the Jews is not new. From the days of Spartacus Weishaupt to those of Karl Marx and down to Trotsky, Bella Kuhn, Rosa Luxemburg and Emma Goldman, this worldwide conspiracy for the overthrow of civilization and for the reconstitution of society on the basis of arrested development 
of envious malevolence and impossible equality has been steadily growing and it has been the mainspring of every subversive movement during the 19th century. <clears throat> so, mm. you know. Yeah. Yeah. So when, not, they're, not when they're, cl- they're, they're blaming the Jews to Churchill, right. they, they probably said, as you yourself said <laughs> Sir? in this here article. <laughs> Excuse me while I whip this out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but it's British now, policy. It's British. Well, policy. it is, and, and Churchill is also supposedly a Zionist, um, right? Now, according to, according to, I think uh, uh, Morris's book, uh, Churchill dismissed all of this and assured the Arabs that the Jews would not not dispossess <laughs> them. He said, mm. "It is manifestly right that the Jews scattered." should have a national centre and a national home and be reunited. And where else but in Palestine, with which for 3,000 years they have been intimately and profoundly associated. We think it will be good for the world, good for the Jews, good for the British Empire, and also good for the Arabs who dwell in Palestine. They shall share in the benefits and progress of Zionism. You ask me to repudiate the Balfour Declaration and to stop immigration. This is not in my power, and it is not my wish. Now, here's my take on this. Churchill didn't really give a shit about the Jews, and he is obviously an anti-Semite and liked to blame the Jews, particularly the Bolsheviks, for all of these problems. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, this isn't about the Jews or the Zionists, this is about the British controlling Palestine. Churchill would have been all for the British yes, controlling. The, yeah, with, we know he was all the for the British Empire. Right. Yeah. Oh, yes. yeah. His, uh, <laughs> I have I've got a, Yeah. Yeah, I've got a quote from him here. Uh, hold on. He's uh, like... Uh, I'm hard. <laughs> yeah. That was you doing your Churchill impersonation. So yeah, he was all yeah. all for the British controlling. It didn't like right. didn't really like the Jews, but loved the British controlling. Fuck the so lot of as you. A, right. As a Zionist, yeah. like yes, if if Zionist means the British being in control of Palestine, all good. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Churchill also met with a Zionist delegation when he was there, and with them he told them that they had to be really careful. About the yes. Arabs, that there was a great alarm felt by the Arabs. Yeah. Uh, the Emir Abdullah of Transjordan asked Churchill whether Britain intended to set up a Jewish kingdom and throw out the Arabs. Britain, Abdullah had said, appeared to think men could be cut down and transplanted in the same way as trees. Ooh, uh, nice. Churchill told him that Britain had no intention to allow mass immigration of Jews, and that a very slow process was anticipated. Mm-hmm. There is really nothing for the Arabs to be frightened about, he told the House of Commons in June of that year. Right. So, uh, you know, again, he's sort of playing both sides, Churchill, telling the Arabs not to worry, yes. telling the Jews to worry, but uh, <laughs> Calm down. they're, they're yeah. going to be protected, that it's okay. Right. Two months later, he told another Palestinian delegation headed by Kazim al-Hassani, the Jews would not take any man's lands. They cannot dispossess any man of his rights or his property. There is room for all. Now, he had just come uh, on his way to Palestine from the Cairo conference. That was where it had been decided that Faisal would be given Iraq and his brother Abdullah would be given Transjordan, basically mm-hmm. modern present-day Jordan, everything over the Jordan River. Jordan, if you're not familiar with the uh, Middle East that much, a large block of land sits mostly landlocked between Israel on its uh, west, Iraq on its north, and Saudi Arabia on its east and, and south, basically. Uh, the Zionists were right. happy about losing Transjordan, this is where Churchill drew the line in the sand, which is, well, we'll call this Iraq. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you can have it. It's all yours. God give it to you. Sound. Uh, just give me all yeah. the oil. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, 
Well, the they, same they as yours. Oil hadn't really been discovered in Iraq at that time, or he probably wouldn't have given it away. There was mostly in Iran that they were getting the oil from. I fucked up. Zionists weren't, yeah. hap- Zionists weren't happy about losing Transjordan, but uh, there wasn't much they could do about it in this stage. But in terms of territory, Transjordan was four-fifths of the original mandatory Palestine. Oh. Um, and But the British now thought, well, we'll give this bit to the Arabs and they won't care so much about <laughs> us letting the Jews into Palestine. Oops. Now, the Jews, on, their, on, on, on the other hand, thought that this whole Transjordan thing was only a temporary state of affairs and they'd end up getting it as well. Damn. They anyway, then in May 1921 more violence broke out between the Arabs and the Jews, and this time it was even worse than in 1920. Yeah, so this time the violence is going to happen in Jaffa and another place instead of Jerusalem. But again, Jaffa's got 26,000 Arabs. It's got 16,000 Jews. And uh, the Arabs, I think I, I really do appreciate the intelligence behind this. The Arabs were smart enough to say that as for the violence, they feared Bolshevik penetration of Jaffa. So you know that the British and the Americans and all the other Western powers are going to go along with that. And definitely this time, the Arab police helped the attackers. 13 Jews were killed, another 26 were wounded. And not until May 3rd does the government come in again late and impose martial law. So this this is just getting completely out of hand. And one of the Jews that are killed was Yosef Chaim Brenner, one of the pioneers of modern Hebrew literature. So again, it wasn't just some guy, some farmer. One of their 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 intellectual lights had just gone out. And but this is just becoming way too common. And again, there were claims that the British had encouraged and assisted the riots. Mm. Uh, ben Gurion even made that claim. And right. it, it's true that the military, the British military, continued to favour the Arabs. General Sir Walter Congrave right. was commander of the British forces in the Middle East. He said in October 1921, in the case of Palestine, the sympathies of the army are rather obviously with the Arabs. The victims of the unjust policy forced upon them by the British government. Yeah, I can see that. He criticised Herbert Samuel for trying to enforce a policy hateful to the majority, a majority which has right on its side. Yeah. So even, you know, the British military who are on the ground there can see what's going on and, and they agree yeah. mostly with the Arabs. Yeah. That the uh, this is their land. You can't just come in. And I listen. You know, like I don't have a lot of time for military people in general, and particularly the British military. But even, but in this case, even the British yeah, military, they were like, saying, not listen, cool. This whole policy yeah. is fucked. Yeah, it's not. It's not yeah. right. Yeah. This is no. We we we're with the Arabs on this. Yeah. Uh, this is completely uncool. Which. Uh, but this time the violence wasn't in Jerusalem. It was uh, in Jaffa and Tel Aviv. Right. Did you talk about the uh, – want to talk about the role of the, uh, de- the, the May Day demonstrations? Uh, no, I don't have that if you want to. Well, yeah, this time the violence broke out, it seems, when there was a violence breaking out between Jewish, communist and socialist May Day demonstrators. Oh, God. Uh, so they were, it was Jewish communists who were picking a fight with other Jewish socialists about some probably uh, minute detail of uh, communist right. ideology. Right. <laughs> Broke out between them and. I don't know. Some, then I, something happened and the Arabs got involved. They saw it as an opportunity for an all-out uh, clusterfuck. They, they blamed it on sort of a fear of Bolshevik penetration in Jaffa. Anyway, yeah. the Arabs ended up attacking the Jews. Uh, the, eventually, a British relief column arrived after a few days, as you said, and opened up with machine guns and bombing Fuck. of the Arabs. Fuck. Uh, armored cars joined in. Now, the, then the following day, another broke out near another riot broke out. Sorry, in a nearby area. This time, the Arabs were bombed by two British aircraft who strafed the Arab attackers. 
Uh, armoured cars turned up with machine guns. The British aircraft bombed them. Altogether, 47 Jews and 48 Arabs were killed, 146 Jews and 73 Arabs wounded. Yeah. And after this, Herbert Samuel made even stronger efforts to pacify the Arabs. The violence calmed down for a while. But then in uh, 1922, June 30th, 1922, Lloyd George, who himself had criticised Herbert Samuel as being very weak, something like Trump would say. Right was replaced. Lloyd George was replaced as Prime Minister by Andrew Boner Law. <laughs> yeah. Hey. That's a good say, name. See this? Yeah. <laughs> see this? Yeah. See this? It's the law. My boner. Boner. Lays down the That's law. That's a boner. I am, and it's my name. I am the Ugh. Boner Law. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> he got in and changed British policy in Palestine and made it a little bit more conciliatory to the Arabs. Mm -hmm. He said, although Britain continued to support Zionism and the creation of the Jewish national home, they assured the Muslim world that His Majesty's government had not at any time contemplated, (laughs) as appears to be feared, the disappearance or the subordination of the Arab population, language, or culture in Palestine. The Balfour Declaration does not contemplate that Palestine as a whole should be converted into a Jewish national home, but that such a home should be founded in Palestine. Moreover, the Zionist Commission in Palestine does not possess any share in the general administration of the country. This is Bona Law! (laughs) The Bona has spoken! They were like, really? Right, right. (laughs) It's a talking penis, for Christ's sake! Yeah. (laughs) But unfortunately, (laughs) talking penis died a year later from throat cancer. Oh, my God. He was the shortest serving prime minister of the 20th century. Sometimes known as the unknown prime minister. Right, but but let me throw this at you. If you're a Zionist, so not only forget what British policy is on some fucking piece of paper, you can see firsthand that the British troops, more than not, are sympathetic at the very least to the Arabs, and now British policy has officially changed to become, what, more balanced, more fair to the Arabs? Fuck that. The Zionists are going to see this through and they don't care who they have to take on to make this happen. So what do we learn from all this, Ray? Where are we at? Early 1920s. It's the British fucking the whole thing up. Well, is there any way? No, I'll put it this way. There is no way for this to run smoothly. The Zionists are not willing to compromise for their reasons and for their, you can even say religious reasons because the land is theirs from 2000 years ago the arabs quite i think quite justly see the area as theirs because they've been there for the last 2000 fucking years if not longer obviously longer than that this is a no-win situation there's no way the british could have handled this to make this thing smoothly this like you said i think in the last episode this is a zero-sum game there's going to be a winner and a loser who's it going to be is it going to be the british is it going to be the arabs is it going to be the zionists but the point is this is going to come down to a war and there's no way a compromise or a deal or an understanding is going to happen just not going to happen i mean as i've explained before this whole argument which was you know and not their real argument anyway about Mm -hmm. why they want you know the whole god promised it to us argument is bullshit on lots of levels but one of the main levels is the the jews and the Arabs are the same people that God promised it to. Right. If God promised it to, like, a, a, a uh, genetic people, the Semitic people. Right. It was the same people. Because, the as I pointed out earlier on, I mean, as far as I can tell from DNA studies, the Muslims who were living in Palestine, the Arabs, were descended from the same Semites that the Jews were descended from. Mm. going back to, you know, the first millennium BCE when all of this went down. They were all descended from the same people. The only thing that had changed is that 
the Arabs had converted to Islam at some point, and the Jews had gone to Europe and assimilated with the Europeans and had come back 50-50 yeah. European Jew or 60-40. Right. What do you think? They got wider and <laughs> got came wider. back. That's important. I mean, if God promised it to a people, it was the Arabs as much as anybody yeah. uh, that he promised it to. Now, if he promised it to a religious group, then the Jews have got an argument on the basis maybe of religion. But keep in mind that the Arabs worship Yahweh as well. They all worship the same God. Right. It's the same. It's, a, it's just a branch of the same religion. Judaism, Islam, Christianity are all just sects, factions of the same religion that worship Yahweh. Right. But So if Yahweh promised this land to yeah. these people, it's the Arabs as much as anybody who has the same fucking Yahweh-given rights. This whole, well, he promised it to this group of... No, he promised it to the people who were the descendants of the Arabs as well as the Jews. But nobody wants to be a minority in their own country or in their land because you know how that shit's going to go. You're going to get treated like a dog. And so they're willing to fight and kill and war to make sure that doesn't happen. You're right. It's not about religion. It's about power. It's about control. It's about the land. It's about the resources. Fuck everything else. You just have to couch it in, uh, couch it in certain terms. But a war is coming because no one's willing to give. And, of course, for the British, it's about right. controlling right. the Middle East controlling, you know, a buffer zone for the Suez Canal, yeah. basically. All right. Well, that's the show for this week, folks. Yep. Uh, that is all right. that matters. And uh, as I, you know, as I always say. So let's go with penises. <laughs> it's fun to talk about <laughs> my penis. Jesus. My penis. Jesus. My penis. Pretty cozy. My penis. They, they can handle it. My penis. Maybe that abortion. My penis. You know, we're at each other's throats. My penis. All right, enough of that. There's enough penis for tonight. The, the obvious answer is it's payback time. An iron curtain has descended across the continent. I think a lot of people were saying that about Hillary Clinton as well. She's a whore. Some women, I guess, are so evil that they deserve, on the they deserve to be strangled to death and thrown downstairs.